0: Let's go to Matthew 6, verse number 9 is where we'll uh, pick up our reading today. Matthew 6, verse number 9, a very famous passage of Scripture here, the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus talking in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus uh, tells His audience, His disciples, to uh, pray this way. Here's what He says in verse number 9 of Matthew chapter number 6. I'm going to have a word of prayer this morning and we'll have a little bit of special music and then we'll jump into installment number two, week number two of uh, our series on the model and begin to bite off the first piece of this prayer, our Father which art in heaven. We talked some last week that in order for us to move forward in prayer and to improve our prayer lives, which at the end of the day is the goal of this sermon series is that we would all grow in prayer and we all feel this need and this desire to grow in prayer we all could testify to the fact that my prayer life could use an upgrade we're all there so if we're going to do that at least one of the ways that we need to think about is that we just need to do it we should talk about it we should learn how to pray biblically we should approach it not out of guilt we we talked about all that but we do just need to do it sometimes so Uh, I will, just to warn you up front, if you weren't here last week, I'll give you an opportunity at the end of the service that we're just going to stop and hit the pause button and for three or four minutes... Uh, Just pray, and that uh, doesn't have to be awkward. You don't have to do anything special. Just right there from your seat. If you want to pray with your spouse, you can. Uh, But part of this series is just us stopping to implement and dwell on and pray through the different lessons that we're learning and looking at as we examine the model prayer. So we left off last week with verse number 9. We covered the context, and we got to verse number 9 where Jesus begins this thought that after this manner, and we said the manner is a way— Jesus is not necessarily saying, pray these words. He's saying, pray this way. I'm giving you a model. If it was just the words, we could memorize the words and save ourselves two months of preaching and just pray those words. But it's a way he's giving us transferable principles that apply to any slice of time, any culture to help uh, elevate and lift our prayer lives. So he says, after this manner, then he says these words, therefore pray ye. So Jesus gives a pretty direct statement and command and just is not even assuming that we'll pray, but just telling us to pray. And we talked a little bit last week about our prayer lives, that they go through different cycles and seasons, but our prayer life at a pinnacle is desire. It's I want to talk to the Lord and I am enjoying my prayer life and I crave it. And sometimes that goes down into duty. And we all live there and probably try to strike a balance between that desire and duty that I'm just doing this because I know I'm supposed to and it's good for me. But beneath that is kind of a display, an empty display. This is what Jesus actually addressed in the beginning of Matthew 6, that he addressed the Pharisees that were hypocritical and just empty and hollow in their prayer lives. And then when it's all said and done, if it continues to deteriorate, our prayer lives become dead and just completely stagnated and non-existent. And the assertion that I made is that we need to get to desire, that our goal is to have a craving, a heart for the Lord, and and to get there. But Jesus says here in Matthew 6, verse number 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye. And some have argued, and I would even say rightfully so, that how could I truly ever have a prayer life that desire is over and above duty when Jesus commands us to do it. At the end of the day, the command to pray in scripture is a command. And I feel a little bit like Jesus is cracking the whip on me. Like he's telling me, you have to go do this. And he's not giving me an option. I would say this, and this is a big truth that I would love for us to know as we enter into this model prayer, that prayer is a responsibility, which does make it dutiful, But prayer is also an opportunity which makes it desirous. And responsibility and opportunity are not mutually exclusive. So let me illustrate this. Many of you at work have uh, approached work one week or one month, and there was maybe a project at work that was going to be divvied out to somebody where someone would spearhead or be point on that project, and you desired it. You, you wanted it for whatever reason. Maybe it was more pay. Maybe it was because you wanted just to look good for the boss and potentially get a promotion in the long term. But for whatever reason, there was this internal struggle in your company with your coworkers for this vying for the position or for the responsibility of this project or of this extra work. And in our own normal day-to-day lives, there are times where the responsibility of extra work and the desire to have that co-mingle and they interact with each other. And that it should be the case for our prayer lives as well, that we understand it is a responsibility. There is some duty there, but we also understand that this is an invitation. This is an opportunity, and there should be some desire there, and those do not repel against each other. They're not water and oil. They can mix together, and they can be in our hearts at the same times. Now, this does matter, and here's why this matters. Because if you dig down deep and you go below the surface, there aren't all that many reasons why we don't pray. Now, we come up with a lot of great reasons, you know, I'm too busy, or the uh, the kids, or the time, or this or that, but really at our heart, below the surface, there's really not that many reasons why we don't pray. I'm going to suggest two that are probably the most prominent, and we'll see that this weighs in on that. One is, we don't pray because we have what I would call an unhealthy fear of God. Fear of God is good. Reverence, respect for God, it's commanded in the Bible, it's good, but sometimes we have an unhealthy fear of God that... God doesn't want me. I'm not good enough. God wants to keep me at arm's length. He doesn't really want me in on his space. That there can be inside of our hearts this self-condemning spirit of that the Father, he doesn't want me. He doesn't desire for me to pray. And that is, that's unhealthy. And the opportunity or the invitation to prayer addresses that. That at the end of the day, Prayer is welcomed and is an opportunity for us. Jesus gave two parables back to back in Luke 18 that addresses both these issues. The first one he gives addresses this thought that I'm unwelcome, the Lord doesn't want me. And he begins the parable and he tells him, here's why I'm giving you this parable, Luke 18:1. He spake a parable unto them to this end. So here's the point of it, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And he goes on to talk about the widow that comes before the judge and keeps coming before the judge and keeps coming before the judge. And the judge finally says, I give in, I give you what you want. And Jesus uses this to teach his audience a lesson that they needed to learn that you are with God, you are a welcomed guest. You are not going to wear out your welcome where the Lord says, I'm tired of you, I'm sick of you, I don't want you, but you are you're welcome get. Yeah, there's an invitation. There's an opportunity that he desires for us to pray, and so too we should desire him. And if your mind goes to, I would I would love to pray, but I'm just I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. You don't know the sin in my life. You don't know what I'm struggling with. If that's you, I'm here to tell you he invites you. There's an opportunity that is just for you, and he wants you to pray. But the opposite of that, and probably as Americans, we would struggle with this one more. Is the is the I'm a okay attitude. I don't, yeah, okay, time, I need time, my kids, this and that. But when it's all said and done, I don't, I just don't see the need. I'm fine. My life is fine. My finances are fine. My family's fine. My health is fine. My everything is going great. It's smooth. I don't, I don't think that I need to pray. And we would never say that, okay, just to be clear. None of you are ever gonna tell me that. I know you're not, but deep down in your heart, this could be a, a driving motivator that, that I don't need to pray. And Jesus addresses this straight away in the next parable in Luke 18, Luke 18, verse number nine. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and they despised others. So Jesus uses both sides of the coin. He says, Let me talk to you who think that you're great. And this is the story of the Pharisee who comes to pray and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that publican. And then the publican comes and says, Lord, be be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, the publican has the right heart, the Pharisee does not. And many times we find ourselves in this boat. And this is where the command to pray, the you must pray, the duty of prayer comes in. And says, it doesn't matter if you feel like it or not. You're supposed to, and you need it at the end of the day. And, and if we're not careful, we can give ourselves a pat on the back and think, you know, well, I wouldn't think that I can't go to God. Sure, I can go to God. I'm a great prayer warrior. Like, he wants to hear from me. He's, you know, I'm awesome. I'm winning at life. I'm winning at work. Everything's great. I don't need to go to God. And both of those are addressed. And we see that prayer is, it's an opportunity. It's an invitation. But at the same time, it is a responsibility. It is a command. And they merge together. And Jesus says, as he starts into this prayer, After this man, or this model, therefore pray ye. And he gives uh, the first phrase that I'd like to bite off and kind of parse out today is, Our Father which art in heaven. So our Father which art in heaven. This is is the address on the envelope, so to speak. This is where the prayers are being directed to. I, I read recently of a guy who said, I have two rules for prayer. Rule number one, I remember who I am addressing. Number two, I remember who I am when I am addressing, that I try to keep in mind who God is and who I am. And at the end of the day, he is creator, we are creature. He is the shepherd, we are the sheep. He is the father, we are the children. Now, naturally, we bristle at this a little bit. We, some in this room hold close to father, but you have to if you hold close to father, you have to understand you're the child. You are, can I say it this way? Dependent. If God was filling out his taxes, he could claim a whole lot of dependence, right? Because that's all of us. And we don't like to think of ourselves that way. In some way, we can segment our brain and embrace father, but not embrace the humility that's attached to we are, we are the dependents. We are the children. And this is, this is natural to bristle at this. I don't know how this starts, but it does. My son is almost three And I did not teach him to bristle at the thought that he's a little boy. But if you walk up to my son today after church and say, "Hey, little boy," guaranteed he'll tell you, "I'm not a little boy. I'm a big boy." That's why he's. Why does he? He doesn't want to think of himself as the little boy. He wants to think of himself as a big boy. Go up to one of our seventh graders today after the service. Say, "Hey, kid, how you doing?" And you know what they'll say in their little crackly voice? "I'm not a kid." Why? Because they want to think of themselves as older. I'm responsible. I'm independent. And that is natural. I don't care if you're a toddler, if you're a 7th grader, or if you're 50 years old in the room. You don't want to think of yourselves as utterly dependent upon someone else. But the fact of the matter is, we are. He's father, and we remember who he is, but we also remember who we are. We are the children. And this initial phrase, this initial start should... Put us in a mindset of humility as we begin to approach the Lord. I'd like to sidestep for two minutes and tackle a topic that frankly takes a whole sermon, but I'm at least going to address it because inevitably it's going through some of your minds. Some in here are wondering: does this mean, Jesus tells us to pray our Father, does this mean that I can only pray to the Father and I cannot pray to Jesus and I cannot pray to the Spirit? So some of you have never even, that's never even entered your mind. You, you start every prayer with dear Jesus, not even thinking about, it's just habit, that I'm addressing Jesus and not the Father. So the, I'll give it to you in a nutshell. I was actually, I remember listening to the sermon as a a sophomore in college, and the argument in that sermon was that you should not address Jesus or the Spirit directly, that some of the hymns that we sing are wrong, you know, a sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove, uh, I forget the rest of the song, but it's a prayer to Him. so uh, you, you all know it, you can fill in the blank. But I heard a sermon that was you should only strictly pray to the Father. I don't think that's accurate biblically. I think that it is appropriate to pray to the Spirit at times or pray to Jesus at times. However, it is normative for us to pray to the Father through the Spirit in the name of the Son. That should, be, that should be the normal mode of our prayer, to the Father in the Spirit, or through the Spirit in the name of the Son. And that is, that is laid out time and time again in the Bible. So uh, one author said it this way, Christ's words, our Father which art in heaven, don't keep us from praying to Jesus any more than his words give us this day our daily bread, keep us from praying for something to drink. So if you start your prayers with your Jesus, that's fine. I would, however, encourage you to consider your prayer life and to begin to think about it. And honestly, this could be a tough habit for some of you to break because you've been doing it for decades. But I would encourage you to think about your normal prayer mode should be to the Father through the Spirit in Jesus' name. And Jesus starts the model prayer by telling us the address on the envelope is... Our Father, which art in heaven. So let us break that down now in little bite-sized pieces. Our Father, then which art in heaven. So first is this word, our. O-U-R. I accidentally spelled it O-W-R in the first service. But O-U-R, our. O-W-R is not a word, by the way, in case you're wondering. Uh, youbonics. O-W-R, our. Now this word, straight away in the Lord's Prayer, puts us back on our heels. Why? Because this is counterintuitive for us. You know how we go to prayer? Help me. Give me. I need. Me, 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 me. That's our default mode as we go into prayer, is it not? And Jesus starts, and he says, the way that you begin prayer is this first word, our, which means at the very least that it's not all about you. This means that prayer begins from the context of community. You say, what does the context of community mean? At least a couple things. It means that as we approach the Lord, our Father, that we should have in mind that I'm a smaller part of the whole. That as I'm sitting at my dinner table with my family, our Father, I should have in mind that He is my Father and He's my wife's Father and I hope one day that He'll be a father to Brennan and Willow and that they will trust in Him and I have our father, as a family and whole, there are times as a church where we approach the Lord from the context of community, that here we are together, our father, years and years and years and years, that he's all of ours combined, even in your own personal uh, prayer life, in your closet, that there should be this sense of, I understand you're a father to all who have believed on you all over the world, that prayer starts from this context of community. And what this means for us is that we should pray together as brothers and sisters in Christ who have the same Father. There should be a sense of normalcy to us talking about the Father together and praying to the Father together. This should not be an abnormality for our church or for your family or for the co-workers that you work with that are Christian that that corporate communal prayer is really understood in this first word, hour. So I know that many of you would love for prayer to be strictly a private ordeal. And there's a measure of your prayer life that is in your closet by yourself to the Lord. But prayer is not strictly a private ordeal. And I didn't make that up. Jesus said, he starts with our. And this is important for us. C.S. Lewis argued that this was important for this reason. Here's how Lewis uh, contended. He said that it takes a community of people to get to know an individual person. And Lewis reflected on his own life and said that a friend's character or personality was oftentimes made more clear by a second friend as they talked about the first friend. And he made the argument that if I, did not, if I eliminated the second friend, there would be aspects of my first friend that, was, that were invisible that I could not know them because as a community I got to know that person better. And he said, so too it is with our relationship with the Lord. And to quote Lewis, he says, by myself... I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than mine own to show all his facets. What is he saying here? He's saying that community prayer, corporate prayer, us going together in this helps us to actually know the Lord better, that we know him, his nature and character from his word. We can look at the life of Jesus, God in the flesh, in the gospels and see the image of the invisible God. But also as we pray together, we can understand the Lord better through prayer together. And I know this to be true in my own life, that there have been many people that have taught me to pray and even taught me about the Lord. As they have prayed to the Lord and gone through dark valleys that I was not in, then I was able to see a a little measure of how the Lord was caring for them and what a good God He was to them, which made Him more beautiful and more clear in my own life. So Jesus starts this, this model prayer with the word, our, which does put us back on our heels. I admit it. It, it makes prayer less selfish for us. But he starts with our. I'll, here's how it was said a years ago in the church. There was a bit of a, a proverb that floated around. And they said it this way. The more we share the heavenly bread between us, the more we all shall have. That was their thought, that the more that we share in this, the more that I will actually get to enjoy. So Jesus says our. Then he says father. Now, our goes against our grain. Father went against the grain of the audience that Jesus was addressing. So Jesus here, when he starts the model prayer, gives his audience honestly a new way of addressing God that was radical. So Jesus is addressing a Jewish audience who have the Old Testament. And the Jews, the the highest name that you could have for God was Jehovah, the, the covenant maker and keeper. And the Jews thought of God in many ways, accurate ways, that they thought of him as transcendent, as eternal, as holy, as all-powerful, as all-knowing, as a promise maker and keeper. They thought of him that way, but they did not think of God as a personal father. Maybe father in the context of he's a father of our nation, but the Jews did not think of God as a personal father or address him that way. There's a a German scholar, he died back in the 70s, named Joachim Jeremias, and he did a study of the entire Old Testament, and then he took older rabbinical writings from ancient Jewish literature, and he studied them with the thought of this, the address of Father. And he looked through all of them, and he could not find one time until, the first time he found it, was in the 10th century AD, of a Jewish rabbi or person or writing addressing God personally as Father. Father. That in the Old Testament, it's non-existent. In the rabbinical writings, it's non-existent. And Jesus, he did the same study, but he applied it to the life and prayer life of Jesus. And he found that every time Jesus addressed the Father, except one, he addresses addresses him personally as Father. You say, what does that mean? What it means is Jesus is introducing a brand new radical way of approaching the Father. And the basis for that approach is relationship. Now, this is, this should not be abnormal for us as New Testament Christians, but for his audience, he is giving them a new basis for prayer, and that's through relationship. And we know biblically, we should celebrate this. We should celebrate John 3, that we are born again. We are born into the family of God, is what Jesus tells Nicodemus. And John writes elsewhere. In 1 John, he writes that concerning this adoption, concerning that we're sons, that he writes in 1 John 3, verse number 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. John marvels at this. He bursts with praise at this and says, There is almost a rhetorical question What manner of love is this that God will call us his sons, that he will adopt us, that I can be? I can have divine sonship through him. This is what Paul writes elsewhere in Galatians and Romans, that we are born again into the family of God. We are adopted as sons, and the Spirit enters our lives and causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. This is what Galatians 4 says, because your sons, God has sent forth his Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying Abba, Father, Romans 8 is probably the best passage on this, that for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. You've not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, and so be that we suffer with Him and we may also be glorified together. What is that saying? That's saying that when you are saved, when you enter into that relationship, that you receive the Spirit, and the Spirit causes you, your heart, to cry out, Abba, Father. That word, Abba, is the best word I could compare it to would be our English word, Daddy. That there is this intensely relational, this Uh, dependency that's there there is this there is this tenderness to our relationship with the Lord that we get to enjoy and to think of him as father that his heart glows with affections for us now this is of paramount importance because you have to be able to see God for who he is and know how he's thinking about you to approach him the right way and he is a father that we can call out to on the basis of a relationship literally a, a daddy cry that that draws our heart to him and this at the very least establishes a relationship in a in a reasonableness to prayer this establishes that it's reasonable for me to approach the lord and it's reasonable for me to expect an answer from him because he's father he's not just this creator god that's distant and uninvolved in my life no he's He's dad, there's a relationship there. I'd like to take just a moment to address this thought which inevitably there's probably 20, 30% of the room that are thinking this way. What if you had a horrible earthly father and this is repulsive to you? There are some in this room that do not want to address God as father because of the earthly father that you had who was absent or just bad or maybe even despicable and undoubtedly there are some in this room that would choke on that word to address god that you would much rather just prefer i'll go lord i'll go dear jesus i'll pray to the spirit but i do not i don't want to i don't want to do that let, let me say a couple things to you to to try to help So, so know this, our father, my father, that's also your father, we're sons and daughters together, joint heirs with Jesus, is not your earthly father. And he would, he would love to be the father that you've wanted, that you've desired, that you, you have so much hurt because of what your earthly father has done or not done and he would love to be that father to you. Here's here's a couple verses. Psalm uh, 68 says that he is a father to the fatherless. Psalm 27 tells us, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. If your father, if your mother did you wrong or even are currently doing you wrong, don't let that be a barrier for you to approach the Lord on the basis of paternal relationship on, on the basis that he's a daddy that wants to love you. And if you've had a bad family upbringing, I would argue that what you desperately, not just want, but what you need is a good father, is a father who will love you, that there is mercy, that there is grace, that there is love, that there is tenderness, that there's, he won't hurt you. He won't, he won't do you wrong. He will not he will not be despicable, maybe as your earthly father was, and he, he wants to be the father that you've never had. He wants to enter into relationship with you, and if you want to know what he's like, I would encourage you to study Luke 15. Luke 15 is the parable of the prodigal son, is what we call it, the son that runs away and does his own thing, but really it's the parable of a good father. A father who loves his son and restores his son and welcomes his son in and really covers his son with righteousness despite the wrong that he's done and throws a feast for him. And that's, that is God the Father. He's a father who loves and cares and wants to embrace you and wants to love you and wants to help you. So, so know that. And, and don't bristle at the idea of, Father, let that, if you had a bad earthly dad, let that draw you in. Let it help you to know that he will be for you what you never had and what you do desire at the end of the day. Let him be that. Let him be Father and approach him and on the basis of relationship. So it's Jesus starts and says, here's how the address on the envelope. Our Father, which art in heaven. Heaven is a real place where God is, where Jesus came from, where he ascended after his resurrection. And heaven is our Father's home and will be our home one day. And one scholar said that this phrase, which art in heaven, sort of balances out the relationship that we have in Father, that you have an intimacy of Father, but you also have an affirmation of God's sovereignty and his majesty when you say which art in heaven. That he is our Father, But he is not our earthly father. God is not terrestrial. He is not carnal. You can't measure him by our standards. You can't suppose that his will is our will. He is, he's God, okay? He is, he's holy, he's just, He's righteous, He's big, He's powerful, -powerful, all-powerful, all-knowing that at the end of the day, He is Father, and there can be relationship, but there is also a reverence and a respect edge to this that we understand it's our Father which art in heaven, our heavenly Father, that He is there in His majesty, and this causes us to approach Him, to approach Him wholeheartedly and to approach Him easily because He's Father, but also with humble hearts, with our thoughts raised to their highest pitch, knowing that I'm talking to God still. I am talking to an eternal, everlasting Creator, Creator God, and when I approach Him, it's not just Father, but it's our Father which art in heaven. And I would argue that if we are going to spend all eternity with our Father God, and we are, and we will commune with Him, and we will praise Him, and we will talk with Him, then we should start that communing now. That should not be something that is just we inherit when we get to heaven. But that would be if if we're going to spend all eternity with him, and we are, then we should start the process of learning what it means to talk to the Lord, to pray to him, to in the spirit, in Jesus' name, to go to him and to begin what it truly means to pray. And this morning I'm going to invite you to do just that. We're going to take a pause. I'll, I'll pray here for a moment. And I'm going to invite you for a few minutes there in your seat to pray. From the context of community, understanding that this is not just selfish. This is, this is our Father. Knowing that he wants relationship with me. He desires. I, I can't wear out my welcome with him. But at the same time, I need him. And there's a responsibility to prayer. And he is, he is Father, so tender, but also in heaven so majestic and wonderful and even terrible almost to consider His, his glory.